see a full congregation. So a little while ago, um, probably a little over a month ago, I remember John standing up here and saying, hey, Phil and I aren't going to preach on a predictable schedule because we want to keep you guessing. So they thought they'd really throw you off today because <laughs> it's neither one of them. <laughs> so I am really excited that I get the honor to bring what God has put on my heart to you this morning. Um, it's a real blessing. So we're going to start out by looking at some funny Christmas letters to Santa. So Eli, if you could put that up. Okay, so you will see on that first letter, there's quite an eclectic um, list there, ranging from an Apple Watch to emoji stickers. But you'll notice there at the bottom, let me see if I can get this, um, they circled their priority, which was a better life and no school. (laughs) So I I don't know if there's a cause relationship there, but um, that's what they want. Next slide, please. Dear Santa, for Christmas, I want a toy that does my homework. And I want a ninja turtle that fights. Well, you know, at least they only ask for two things. I mean, one of them is kind of a big thing, but two things. Okay, next slide. Dear Santa, there are three of my Nintendo games set out for you. You can play them if you have time. There are also some cookies me and my mom made. The games are Super Mario, Bart's Nightmare, and Buster Bust Loose. And my new one is missing. The system is in the living room. But you'll notice that they put a little side note there that, please clean my room. Dear Santa, when it was Saturday, I thought I would try to be good the whole winter vacation. But it seems like I did not succeed. Will you still give me a present anyway? And last but not least, one of those good notes from childhood where you circle the yes or the no. I would like to have a 3D DSi for Christmas. If I can get it, are you going to give me a second chance this time? I will be more responsible. Please circle yes or no here. (laughs) Oh, those letters get me every time. So some of those visions of sugar plums, I'm sure, became realities, some of them. But I have a hunch that some did not. So how about you? What were you wishing for? Maybe a new job? Maybe better health? A harmonious family gathering? Or an escape from the brokenness that you might be feeling? Each year, we bring a lot of Christmas expectations to the season. And in addition, we bring a lot of our Christmas past onto our Christmas present. So the popular song promises that this is the most wonderful time of year. Hallmark sweeps in with the moments of escape. The whimsical beauty of lights illuminates our darkened season. And the church's vocabulary conjures up a lot of what I call Christmassy words. Things like joy, peace, Hope, love, as we recall the wonder of God coming to earth as a baby. But then Christmas is over. Everything's put away, wrapping papers in the trash, some of the toys are starting to get played with. Now what? Advent was about longing for restoration of all of creation. 
Now, Jesus' birth ushered in the beginning of the kingdom that started that process. But the reality is, it's still a work in progress. So how do we hold on to that hope that was manifest in the person of Jesus? The text we're going to look at this morning comes from the book of Romans. And it's interesting because Paul uses what I call the Christmassy words, joy, peace, and hope. So as recorded in Romans 15, 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is actually a prayer that the Apostle Paul is lifting up on behalf of the Church of Rome because they're experiencing tension. They're learning how to be followers in a world that is not yet heaven. Conflicts with each other and striving to live in a world that doesn't embrace Jesus' upside-down kingdom is leaving them discouraged. So Paul is trying to encourage them because they have the ability to overcome it, this discouragement, because of the gifts that Jesus offers to us through the Holy Spirit. So as Paul lifts this prayer up for them, in essence, he's urging them to keep on keeping on. So Paul's words to the Church of Rome is also Paul's words to us. So over the next few minutes, I want to reflect on the gifts given to us through Jesus to encourage us to unpack them as we walk forward in this place of in-between kingdoms. So Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. We've heard joy more times than we can count in the last few weeks. It's been just days since joy to the world has been spinning through our heads and pouring out of our lips. Fun fact number one, the word joy is used 257 times in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, which is the version I tend to use. For example, in Luke chapter 144, it records that Elizabeth's child leapt with joy as Mary approached her. As Phil mentioned a few weeks ago, the angel pronounced good news of great joy for everyone to the shepherds. And in James 1, 2, we're told to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. So here's fun fact number two. There are 15 different Hebrew and eight different Greek words for joy in the original text both nouns and verbs. You see, the English translation just doesn't adequately translate for us the nuances of the original text. Um, some of the nuances include leaping, as in the verse that I, I read just a minute ago about the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb. Some of them have to do with sharing in another's gladness. So it's really, really important for us to understand what the word joy means in this particular text. Well, here, the Greek word is kara, which is rooted in charis, which is the Greek word for grace. So that indicates to us that the joy that we have access to is not anything that's going to come about from earthly circumstances. In a sense, there's a supernatural infusion which produces joy. My friend, author Catherine McNeil, writes this, Christmas time joy can seem plastic and fake. 
We walk through shopping malls where every song, Santa, and sign is designed to put us in the holiday spirit. But we are rushed and anxious, our children misbehaving, our families struggling. Yet the joy we proclaim during Advent and Christmas is not a flimsy plastic joy. It is strong enough to stand up to everything life on our broken planet has to offer. I remember 25 plus years ago experiencing what I would say is one of the worst events that could ever happen in my life. But what I remember very vividly is in the weeks following the unfolding of that event, feeling a desire to walk forward in the midst of circumstances that I could not have ever anticipated nor even desired. And somehow in the midst of all that, I felt a gladness, which I couldn't even eat. I felt like I'd been punched in the gut. But it was a gladness in God, knowing that God has this and that God is going to redeem it. My life was not over. Joy is the awareness that God is always meeting us where we are and making things new. I'm going to repeat that. Joy is the awareness that God is always meeting us where we are and making things new. We carry it for ourselves and for others, regardless of the circumstances. Do you have joy? The Apostle Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Well, peace is another word we've heard a lot of. We often hear the song, Let There Be Peace on Earth, this time of year. I think everyone would love that. The thing is, is that conflicts aren't necessarily a bad thing, but it's how we navigate them that tends to get us in trouble. So how do we have peace? in the midst of this, king, this place of in-between kingdoms, in, this, in the middle of conflicts. How do we really have peace? Well, the Greek word for peace here is eirene, and it can refer to the state of our relationship with God or with others. Now, Paul's use of the word here is in the context of both, because in order to be in harmony with others, we need to be in harmony with God. In order to be in harmony with others, we need to be in harmony with God. Peace starts within and flows out, not the other way around. It starts with the infusion of Jesus, who in Isaiah 9-6 is called the Prince of Peace. Now when I talk about peace, I'm reminded of the Jewish word shalom. Longing for shalom goes beyond desiring peace for self or neighbor. Shalom is taken from the root word shalom, which means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. It speaks of completeness, fullness, or a type of wholeness that encourages you to give back. So the thing is, is that when we pray for peace for our world, or we pray for peace for our neighbor, we need to recognize that that is not a passive prayer. Because in order to answer that prayer, God is most likely going to ask us to give up something. It might be, our opinion, <laughs> it might be our time, it might be our finances. But God is going to ask you to give up something. Now, every year, most of us should have a wellness check 
to make sure everything is good in our physical body and make sure we're in a good state of being. And I would suggest that we also need to be taking soul checks from time to time. Now, I would say particularly when you feel restless, but really it should be happening enough that it's a little more proactive. But when we are restless, that's a red flag that something is probably going on that is inhibiting our ability to have peace. And I just, as a little aside, um, I don't want to, I, I'm not indicating that if you struggle with a mood disorder of anxiety, such as I do, that, um, that you can simply pray it away or that the questions I'm about to show you are going to be enough to make your, you not feel restless. Um, this is separate from that. But when you are feeling restless, we need, you need to ask yourself, what is it? And sometimes it's hard to even identify what is going on in my life that's making me feel so restless. Why do I not have peace? Well, I have a list of questions. Now that looks a little overwhelming. I'm going to read through them, and then we're going to do something a little unorthodox here. <laughs> I'm going to give you 20 seconds to reflect on them. Um, but here are some of the questions to ask ourselves. Am I holding a grudge? Am I resisting the grace poured over me? Am I seeking security on a platform of privilege rather than in the footsteps of Christ? Am I allowing Jesus to touch the wounded parts of me? Have I embraced the mercies that are new every morning, as recorded in the book of Lamentations? Do I fear the path God has placed in front of me? Am I surrendering that which I can't or don't need to control? Am I asking for help where needed? Is unrecognized grief residing within? Am I in need of connection with others? So I'm going to create a little awkward silence <laughs> for about 20 seconds. And I'm going to give us the opportunity to just kind of go through that list silently. Um, it may not seem like a lot of time. But I'm going to pray um, while we're doing that silently, that the Holy Spirit can maybe point out to, to each of us those areas in our life that maybe we need to ponder more about and to give up to God as prayer. So I invite you to spend about 20 seconds just going over this list and um, pondering those questions. Do you have peace? So Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope. Paul's desire is that as we are filled with the gifts of joy and peace, we'll abound with hope. The joy and peace we experience signals to us that Jesus is living in us. 
Hope is a gift from the one who is hope. Trusting in this God of hope is what led our ancestors to endure a long and faithful journey over rugged terrain toward the promised land. Trusting in this God of hope is what led the prophets to endure persecution and proclaim to the Israelites that the long-awaited Messiah was still coming. Trusting in this God of hope is what led the early church to endure through a culture that did not embrace, embrace its threats to the status quo. What does hope mean for us? Recently, you've probably heard the song, A Holy Night. One of the verses says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new glorious morn. What does it mean to have the thrill of hope in the midst of a weary world? Author Stephanie Tate writes this, The thrill of hope is found in the place of sacred tension between the brokenness of this world and its glorious kingdom to come. Hope isn't relentless optimism or focusing only on the positives. Hope requires fully acknowledging the suffering from which our longing springs. And it's as we recognize this brokenness around us that it catapults us towards our God of hope. And we embrace that that we have starting right now. Because our God of hope came to earth in the baby, in the form of a baby, to exude hope in every way through his whole life. He didn't come just as an adult. He came as, an adult, as a baby to point the way to hope. And he holds up hope for all of us. That's why the Apostle Paul references Isaiah um, 11.10 in his prayer to the Romans. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. This hope is attainable for everyone. It's offered to everyone. Do you have hope? As I mentioned earlier, we find ourselves in this place of in-between kingdoms. Jesus has come. Jesus will come again. We feel the longing of living in a place that is on its way. For some of us, we look forward to the new year with anticipation of a new start. But for some of us, we feel a sense of dread as we see the numbers change and we're still experiencing a chronic situation that seems to only bring feelings of dread. The good news is that this kingdom is on its way. And we have a hand in it. We are offered these gifts in order to be able to help restore God's kingdom and to experience a taste of heaven. We can handle what the circumstances in our life offer, come, uh, bring to us because we have joy, peace, and hope. So Paul's prayer is lifted up to us this morning. Peace, joy, hope. Take them, unpack them, and carry them for one another. Amen.